This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to visit with Kristen McDermott Woodrum. Kristen speaks to us regularly about the healthcare IT issues and just healthcare system issues that she's watching closely. Kristen, why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself and then we'll talk about what are some of the key issues that you're watching currently? Thank you, Scott. Um, I am Kristen McDermott Woodrum. I'm a healthcare partner in the Atlanta office of the Guire Woods. And as you indicated, I focus on healthcare, including hospitals, physicians, investors um, across the healthcare industry, people who are um, doing transactions or trying to comply with the regulatory framework. What are you seeing out there currently in terms of both systems? What's your big observations of what you're seeing with healthcare systems and regulatory issues too? Yeah, so it's really it's really challenging, I think, across the board for everyone right now. We've talked a lot about um, kind of uncertainties on the horizon. And one of the things that I've continued to watch, um, developments with telehealth, which I know is of great interest to my health system clients as well as investors and others who are more digital health focused. And last week, the healthcare subgroup of the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, PRAC, released a report on the use of telehealth across the federal healthcare programs under six agencies during COVID during its first year. And it summarized potential program integrity risks. The purpose of that report was to inform stakeholders, including Congress, healthcare organizations, and federal and state agencies, how this expanded use of telehealth helped individuals access care and to raise awareness about the risk areas and importance of safeguarding expanded services against fraud, waste, and abuse. By patients and dollars, the biggest programs in this study were Medicare and TRICARE, but they also looked at um, Federal Employees Health Benefits Program and a number of others. Um, and before diving into that study, just my overarching perspective, kind of back to your question, is um, there's been a lot of investment and traction in telehealth for self-pay patients or those with private insurance, and obviously with um, Medicare and these government programs. And we're still seeing enormous advocacy for continued telehealth flexibilities in these government programs post-public health emergency. As we may have spoken, the Consolidated Appropriations Act and the Medicare Physician Fee Schedule um, for 2023 extend the flexibilities including a huge focus on behavioral health services um, and in, in important areas but kicked the can down the road on a lot of the flexibilities, either to 151 days after the telehealth, um, after the public health emergency concludes. So kind of extending that telehealth cliff um, to 151 days or the end of 2023. But the good news is that gives Congress time to act. Um, there's enormous bipartisan support for all things telehealth. Um, there's also some concern, obviously, that telehealth will drive up government spending, um, either drive care that's in addition to versus in lieu of the traditional in-person visits, impact quality, um, you know, and the focus of this report give the potential for fraud, waste, and abuse. But my overall read is we're going to have to figure it out for telehealth like any other health service, and the potential benefits seem to outweigh the potential risk to program integrity. Um, you know, this this report follows on the OIG special fraud alert this summer, um, which alerted practitioners to exercise caution when entering into arrangements with purported telehealth companies. So, you know, that's really healthcare fraud. 
this report dealt with fraud, waste, and abuse. And you know, I can walk through some of the highlights of it, but um, I think it's a good roadmap for you know going forward with extending telehealth beyond the public health emergency. Thank you. And, and the concept of everybody knows we all want telehealth. Nobody wants telehealth to go away for seniors, for everybody, really. But reimbursement fraud are still concerns, the potential for more spending. Where, where's the outcome of this going? And where are some of the highlights on this in terms of where telehealth will be in the long run? Yeah, well, it was interesting to see. I think we've heard some of these stats, just how much telehealth jumped. Um, given the opportunity. So during the first year of the pandemic, the use of telehealth and Medicare jumped about 83%. About 43% of Medicare beneficiaries used a telehealth service, and that was up from less than 1%. Um, based on more recent claims data from CMS, about 34% of Medicare beneficiaries received a Part B service in 2021. And then the number started to increase a little bit more um, at the beginning of 2022. So we're not going back down, and we're definitely not going back down to zero. Um, the highest percentage, interesting, in this report of individuals who use telehealth was in the Veterans Health Administration. Almost 90% of veterans served by the program used telehealth. Um, but the VA had traditionally allowed greater access to telehealth and then greatly expanded their flexibilities even a program that lends veterans broadband-enabled devices. Um, but individuals in Medicare, the biggest program, used the most services. It was $114.4 million, or million services, um, which was up from 1.3. And then the spending um, was $5.1 billion in Medicare during that year. In terms of services, the most used services were office visits with a primary care provider or specialist and also behavioral health, including individual and group therapy, substance use disorder treatment. That was really the majority, those, those three services of telehealth. Most of the Medicare beneficiaries who received telehealth services, 84%, received services from a provider with whom they already had an established relationship and on average had seen that provider within four months of the telehealth service. And you know, notably, prior to the pandemic, Medicare actually required an established relationship and ongoing in-person visits with the telehealth provider. One thing to note, at least 12 million, which is 19% of the Medicare beneficiaries used audio-only telehealth. Um, and then 93% of those that used audio-only used them exclusively. And that number may be low. There are about 89 telehealth services somewhere in that ballpark. Um, that are available as audio or video, but the Medicare data just can't capture it. So I'm sure we'll have to dig into whether these folks have a preference for audio only or whether they face barriers to using audio, video, telehealth, and you know whether, whether it's appropriate to receive audio telehealth um, for some of the types of physical health services they may be seeking help for. We, we see that there's just tremendous interest in telehealth there's at some point we'll get longer term government approval for telehealth. The payers are all over the board on this um, phone or in or sort of with a zoom with a with a face as well, sort of again, work in progress see where that goes. Reimbursement for telehealth versus a regular office visit. What are some of the thoughts on that? What does that look like? Yeah, so 
prior to the pandemic under the federal programs, providers were paid less, but during the public health emergency paid the same rate. You know, it, it seems like the resources going into these visits would be less, so the payment would be less. We just haven't landed there yet. I think that's something definitely to keep an eye on. We have a lot of commercial payers who are looking at telehealth, virtual first plans, um, you know, and looking at it as a way to save money, but also to make sure people have access to appropriate care quickly and efficiently. So both on the government and the, the commercial side, I think, you know, keeping that balance of cost and quality will be very important. Thank you. When you look at sort of the telehealth world, the investment, the investors in this hit what rode this wild ride where it went way up, you know, almost like FTX and Sam Bankman-Fried. Then it went way down. Yeah. And, and, and so now trying to sort out what are the real companies in the long run that will provide a real service and a real value versus those that were sort of smoke and mirrors? What's your sense of that? Is the market start, starting to assess sort of what's what and figure that out? Yeah, I think so. Um, it has been a wild ride, and there's some very high-profile examples there. Um, and, and it's been challenging to try to integrate telehealth into healthcare system and other providers' um, worlds. You know, there's the just technical and operational challenges, um, and it's sort of a build it or buy it as well. So I think we've kind of gotten past the worst of it, and a lot of folks were introduced to telehealth at a very challenging time. Kind of going forward, I know the OIG had released the um, special fraud alert this summer, and at the same time announced a pretty big series of settlements in you know, in the billions range for telehealth fraud and other kind of schemes. And in this crack report has continued to say they're very skeptical and want to keep an eye on telehealth companies because they pose, pose, um, pose risk. You know, I don't think our everyday healthcare provider, um, you know, health systems and physicians are kind of in that same category, but they need to keep an eye out on who they're going to partner with. Um, and I would point back to that the suspect characteristics in that OIG advisory, when you're expected to see a patient and um, you know are rewarded or, or given um, kind of payments based on chart reviews or the volume of people that you're seeing, you're prescribing kind of a high volume of you know orthotic braces or prescriptions or genetic testing or something with very little contact with the patient. You know anything like that is going to be a, a big risk area. And then this report also released last last week outlines some of the the risk factors to keep keep an eye on that you know maybe maybe not as an egregious intent based scheme of fraud but some of those you know fraud and abuse and, and waste areas where providers on an everyday basis are going to get get hit for things like upcoding um, duplicate billing high volume billing um, billing for services that may not be quite appropriate for telehealth or, you know, ineligible for payment as telehealth, whether it's audio or, or video. There will be a lot of scrutiny on ordering unnecessary labs and DME. So there's definitely program integrity risks. I will say that out of the, the report issued by the OIG, they had identified 1,700 providers whose billing for services posed high risk to Medicare, but that's out of 
742,000 providers who build for telehealth. So if you do the math, that's, you know, 0.2%. And reacting to some of this OIG studies earlier this year, CMS said, you know, this is really low in the whole scheme of things. So just the interplay of, of the agencies and what they're focused on. And some of it's practical. I mean, you know, quality of care, data capture, you know, some of the areas in this report um, are like the hours of telehealth, you know, 18 hours a day of telehealth. But, you know, is that perhaps because of incident to billing where you have clinical staff supervised by a physician who are billing under that supervising practitioner's ID. So it looks like they're billing 18 hours a day, but they're really not. And just data capture, there'll be a lot of practical things that are outlined kind of as recommendations in this report that I think we will work through in the next year or two. Fascinating. I mean, so many issues to work through, but this, you know, in this fascinating situation where the investors have sort of come, the booms come off the rose of that, there's been some fraud, there's been some of that, but at the end of the day, notwithstanding any of that, a huge area of interest for consumers, for sure. Consumers want the option to do things telephonically if they can, and clearly where health systems and physician practices are going, at least for a portion of their business, regardless. So, so a lot of momentum towards this, notwithstanding some snafus from some you know uh, bad actor companies, some fraud, and some other issues that in the big scheme of things, maybe a small portion, but it does taint the industry. Uh, in any event, Kristen, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the uh, Becker's Healthcare Podcast. What a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Scott. My pleasure.